Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekul, joined as always on this Thursday evening by Paul Tenorio. Paul, how's it going tonight, man? Good, man. I'm ready to uh, have a couple sips of bourbon on this episode and uh, enjoy my time with with my illustrious co-host. Wow. That's very nice of you. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm blushing a little bit. Um, Paul, I have a question for you. It's pretty hackneyed and cliched, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What does the beautiful game mean to you? What does that phrase mean to you? Well, I think if, if we're talking about what is, you know, to me, it's about what is the most beautiful thing about the sport and the sport, the game is that it connects us. You know, the, the coolest thing about my job and about being around the game is no matter where I go in the world, I have something that I can talk to people about, you know, and it's not just a professional sports writer, a soccer writer that does that. Anyone who's a soccer fan can go anywhere in the world and connect with people based on soccer. doesn't matter where you're from, what neighborhood in that country, what language you speak, you know, what team you like, you can connect about the sport. And that is the most beautiful thing. It, it is a connector. And that's why it's the beautiful game. I shouldn't have asked you that pre-show because you gave a much different answer when I asked you before we started recording. But, you know, I, I, I set you up. I threw you the alley-oop. Well, I was going to say, or- I mean, from a literal standpoint, <laughs> you know, what I told you before the show is like, obviously, people talk about the beautiful game from a literal standpoint of what you watch, right? The artistry of it, the yeah. movement, the passing, the spacing, all of those things. But the reality is the the beautiful part of soccer is that it is the world's game, man. There's, you know, I, I love, I grew up loving NFL. I played baseball. I never played basketball. I loved the NFL. You played baseball. I played baseball for all the way, I don't know, through middle school. I played for a long time. I grew okay. up in a family, my mom's side of the family from Detroit. They were the American side. They didn't know soccer, right? So when I came to learning yeah, sports, I learned Tigers. baseball from them. There were Tigers fans. They were from Detroit. My grandfather was a catcher. My uncles were catchers and I was a catcher. But... I also had my dad, who's from Costa Rica. He didn't know any American sports, and soccer was the game I knew and from him. And, you know, I think I still think the American sports are great. They're wonderful. But, you know, and I told you this pregame too, or pregame, <laughs> pre-pod. I like pregame. That's good. But when I was in Buenos Aires, for example, um, the airline lost – Nikki's luggage, my wife's luggage, and I was I had to go to the airport the next day with um to go try to find the the luggage. It was a real drama, let me tell you. And you know, <laughs> in this hour there an hour back with this cab driver, it was like what do we have to talk about? Well, soccer. You know, I started telling him what I did. Um we talked about the different teams in Buenos Aires, where the stadiums were, what the best rivalries were in Argentinian soccer. We talked about Ezekiel Barco and what he was doing at Independiente. Man, look at you. Always working. Yeah, even when we you're were, on vacation. We were talking about all this different stuff. It was like, it was great. You know, otherwise, like, there's not that much you talk about with a stranger for, you know, two hours in a cab in Buenos Aires. And it ended up being like, and that's the, that is what makes it the beautiful game. Yeah. Uh, I agree. And I will take it to a more micro level and I'll explain why here in a moment, but I just want to lay it out. 
I, myself and Jeff Reuter, we wrote a piece this week on the Oakland Roots. Oakland Roots were in NISA, which for those of you who do not know, is was the third level or is the third level of American soccer. Uh, they moved up to USL, they announced earlier this week. Uh, our colleague Felipe Cardenas uh, wrote a piece about kind of black soccer culture in Atlanta and how it's embraced Atlanta United. Um, and so, you know, we've, these themes for us anyway, have been pretty front of, front of mind this week. And we thought it would be cool to talk about on these shows because in my opinion, anyway, there are a lot of teams in American soccer that miss out on this aspect of the beautiful game, quote unquote. Um, Oakland and Atlanta, I think are two of the teams that are not missing out. Oakland is this small little club. Uh, they have some former MLS guys there. Jack McInerney plays there. Victor Bernardez was a player coach in their first season, but their whole thing is that they have to be about Oakland all the time. And everything they do is through that lens. And Oakland is a very racially diverse city. Um, it's a very kind of proud, uh, creative city, um, activist city with a lot of history in the arts and in politics. Black Panthers were founded there. A ton of famous musicians are from there. Um, and people really kind of rep Oakland hard that are from there. You know, everyone thinks of Marshawn Lynch or Damian Lillard. Um, the list goes on. Like, you know, these people that are from that city and they kind of think of themselves as this underdog. And the Roots, they want to have their club reflect that, right? And so they're really about reflecting their city and uplifting their city and doing a bunch of things in the community. Anyway, Paul, you're, you're trying to jump in. No, I just heard you say Marshawn Lynch, and I just was going to say to everyone, if you haven't seen the YouTube video of Marshawn dancing on the sideline um, in Oakland. As a Raider. Yeah. As a Raider to a, a song about Oakland and the reaction of the crowd when they put him on the Jumbotron, you have to watch it. I'm not even from Oakland, and I, I'm not joking. I've probably seen that video a hundred times because it kind of gives me the chills because it's just so cool to see somebody repping a city and the fans loving and recognizing that so much and the connection, it was so genuine. And that just to me speaks to Oakland. Right. And that's what the roots have, have been trying to reflect in their short existence. They've only been around not even a year and a half uh, the, since they played their first game. They've played like a total of like 10 matches in the entire history of their club because COVID kind of wrecked any, everything this year, obviously. Um, but it brings up kind of a larger theme of how do you construct a club um, and how do you make it connect with the community, right? Because American soccer broadly and MLS a little bit more narrowly, it's not the best soccer in the world, right? I don't think anyone would argue that. We certainly wouldn't argue it on this show. People don't watch MLS because it's the best. If you want to watch the best, you can wake up early on a Saturday morning or cut out work on a Tuesday or Wednesday afternoon and watch La Liga or Premier League or Champions League. Right. And many people do that. I do that. You do that. Right. Like I'm sure everyone listening has done that. <laughs> um, it's, it's fun, but MLS brings something local. Right. And that's fun too. But American soccer fans, they're smart. They're not stupid. Right. We consume the sport just as much, if not, if not more than many, many countries around the world. Right. We have more access to the premier league games than they do in England here. Um, which is kind of wild. <laughs> um, I find in my experience that a lot of people here are interested in MLS, but they're sort of put off or maybe kept away or not drawn in because MLS teams, well, maybe the soccer's not great, sure, um, but more importantly, they don't really reflect the community, right? And so Atlanta, as Felipe kind of outlined in his piece, um, they have done that. They've made a conscious effort to do that. LAFC 
has made a conscious effort to do that and connect with the Latino community in Los Angeles. Atlanta's made a conscious effort to connect with the black community in Atlanta, which is, I think, more than 50% of the city, population-wise. Um, very few MLS teams have made those efforts. And that, to me, is an interesting thing. Paul, just taking a little bit of a step back here, you know, I mentioned Atlanta, I mentioned LFC, obviously, Oakland. But what to you does connecting with the community look like from the perspective of a, of a professional soccer team or not even pro soccer, any team? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And I think it's about, it's hard to define it. It's hard to put just like to say, this is what it looks like because it looks different for every community because all of these cities are different. But what you, what you want to see is a genuine, um, representation of what that city's about. So I'll, I'll pick two more clubs in MLS and show you how different that can look, right? You have Minnesota United and Orlando City. Their fan bases are so distinctly different. The vibe in those stadiums yeah. is so different. The ethos of those clubs are <clears throat> totally different. And yet they both very well represent I think, or or pretty well represent their communities. They have strong fan support. They have things that are identifiable to the club. They have people who wear their gear around town. You know, they have become a part of the city. And that to me is the big part, right? Like if you can't become kind of ingrained in the culture of the city. Not just that the city is a part of you when when fans show up to your stadium, but that you are a part of the city outside of that stadium, then you're failing at in what we're talking about now. So I, I lived in Orlando. I was there when Orlando City came up to the USL. And, Hold up. And, you lived in Orlando? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes, I did. Actually, yes, I did. I did live there for a year. Your hometown. Um, and then I went and I lived in Winter Park for three years and whatever. Anyways, or right, we don't need your whole life story. Right? doesn't matter. The point is that that team came about in a really genuine fashion through the USL, the fan support that was there. But when they launched with the Fill the Bowl campaign, the way that they invigorated the actual community, the city, was incredible. It was the only place in Major League Soccer that I had been. The only place. And I had been to Portland. I had been to, I grew up in DC. I was there, you know, Bar Brava in the early days. I saw all of that. Where when I walked through the city on a game day, through a downtown, it was obvious that Orlando City was playing a home game. That is different in Major League Soccer. Right, that it was so Huge much rate. a part of the city that all of the restaurants had posters and flags and jerseys. The waiters were wearing jerseys. They all had drink deals for Orlando City. They were all talking about the game. People knew that there was a game. You know, I live in <laughs> Chicago now. You can walk through any neighborhood in Chicago on a game day and you have no clue that the Chicago Fire are playing. None. It's harder to do that in Chicago than it is Orlando just because of the size of the city. I get that. But there, there's not even a blip. You know, you can be in a soccer bar in Chicago on a Saturday morning watching Premier League and there might be two people there that know that the fire were playing that day. Um, and, and so that to me is really defining. And I felt the same way when I went to Minnesota. You know, I've gone to Minnesota for Minnesota United games. I've gone for U.S. national team games. 
And I've seen that similar interaction between the the city itself and the club. And so that I think is what what it looks like. It's that the team is a part of the city as much as you feel the vibe of the city when you're around the team. 100%. Um, and, you know, I... I, I found this quote in, in Felipe's article about Atlanta and about the culture going on there. Um, and it was from, from this guy who started one of the supporter clubs called Footy Mob. And he said, every stadium should look, feel, and sound different. I don't know if it's arrogant of us to have thought so, but yo, Atlanta Stadium should sound like Atlanta. It should look like Atlanta. It should reflect those things in ways big and small that are obvious so that a blind person knows I'm in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And, and that, to me, kind of sums it up perfectly, right? It should look, feel, and sound distinct, right? And so, for me, that kind of goes to another quote. And not to not to get too much Sam reads out loud on a podcast, but I'll read this one, too. And this is from Oakland Roots, um, from one of their co-founders and their chief marketing guy, Edri Sargandawal. And, you know, I had asked him, like, you know, they were meeting with community members before they ever launched, years before they ever launched. And, I, and so I asked him, like, all right, well, what were you guys talking about? And he said, it's called being an anthropologist. When you're building a community asset, you can't force the objective of a brand onto the people. That's just not how blank works. So they assembled this community advisory board, and he talks about needing to nod to the originals in Oakland, and you have to know where you come from, right? And so for me, that's so key, right? You have to know where you come from, and you have to know who the people are that want to be with you right? That want to come along for the ride. And I feel like in MLS, so often those people are ignored, right? And Atlanta is a good example of not ignoring those people. LAFC, same thing. Um, Portland, Seattle, same thing, right? Um, And a lot of this, I'll shout out the supporters. A lot of it is due to supporters in those cities, right? They make it in certain ways. The club facilitates, maybe they market, right? They don't ignore and that's all well and good, but the supporters kind of make it what it is. So that's a really important aspect of this as well. Um, and I think it's really cool when it comes off and when you see a lot of the success stories off the field in this league, and, and we've kind of called most of them out at this point, I don't know if I'm missing any off the top of my head. Um, but they really do kind of reflect the city, they know where they came from. When I look at the LAFC's crowd and I see the 3252 supporter section and it's the steep pitch in the stands, that crowd is like very heavily Latino, like big time. And that's LA, right? And that's a big part of LA. And it gives it this incredible atmosphere, in my opinion, right? When you look at Orlando, it seems like a good mix of people in that crowd, right? Really reflects the city. I see a lot of people, um, you know, in their supporter section, like, just, you know, tank tops, like weird hair. It's like, I'm, I'm like, okay, yeah, those people, Central Florida, man, like stand up, like in a good way. I'm not, I'm not trying to throw shade here, but like Atlanta, same thing. It's a good diverse mix, right? Like it's, it reflects that city and that's so important. It gives, it gives the club, you know, not to, not to steal the Oakland Roots name, but it, it roots the club in its place and it gets people to say, okay, this might not be the best soccer in the world. Orlando is a good example of this, right? That team has sucked since they started in MLS. Haven't sucked this year, but they've been terrible for basically their entire tenure and people still come out. Why? Well, one of the reasons, it feels rooted there, right? And to me, do the Chicago Fire feel rooted? Do the Colorado Rapids feel rooted? San Jose Earthquakes, Houston Dynamo, 
FC Dallas. Maybe you can say Dallas because they play academy kids. They play local kids. But uh, like off the field, like to me, you could take any of those clubs, drop them in the middle of North Dakota or, you know, the middle of the desert in New Mexico or, you know, some farm in Iowa or a swamp in South Carolina and there would be no difference. Right. They tested that. Right. Anthony Precourt basically tested that notion. Like you could pick up the club and move them to another city and, you know, the club itself wouldn't be different. Now, fans changed that, right, with Save the Crew. But what what's being done in Austin is decidedly and markedly different than what they were doing in Columbus. Why? Which was like nothing, basically. Right, yeah. right. They were doing nothing to actually engage the community, to actually be representative of Columbus. They did the, the, the uniforms that were the Columbus flag that were just not – it's got to be more than just not that. Not good. You know, it's got to be more yeah, than that. Yes. I mean – there's aspects of that that you can integrate into your team to make it a part of the community, but it can't just be the one action, right? And like, it's got to be everything. Yeah, it's got to be who you are. And and I think, you know, I don't know, Sam. Like, do you think that um, expansion teams have a leg up because they're new and exciting? Is it just that? Um. I mean, they have a leg up in the sense that they don't have 15 or 20 years of failures, right? They're starting with a clean slate and people are, you know, maybe more people are interested from the onset than they were in 1996 or 1998. So, yeah, they do have a leg up, but you still have to do it right. You know what I mean? Like, look at NYCFC, right? And I and I do think that they tried to reflect the city in a lot of ways. And NYCFC does awesome work in the community in New York, by the way. Um, just to shout that out because I don't want to be all negative here. They do some really good stuff in that regard, um, but they don't have a stadium and that's a huge part of this too, right? Um, but they haven't connected in that meaningful way. They don't have a home. They don't have a place that they can call their own. And that's, I think, huge to this, maybe even a, a prerequisite um, for this. So yeah, they do, have a, they do have a leg up, I think, but there's still a lot to do, right? Like Vancouver, have they done this? Like, I think in certain ways, maybe, um, but like they don't, their team's been bad, so it's hard to say. I think they still get do, do get good support for what they've, what they've been on the field, but Montreal, eh, Sometimes. Know? That's um, the hard part though, right? I mean, it's like, I think there's, there's, there's two aspects to this, right? Part of it is success on the field factors into the support course. you get, right? Yeah. And so like when Montreal is good, they are a genuine part of that community. People come out. They go yeah. and, and yeah. they matter. Right. They matter. Like, you know, I, I know Frank Lopez well. Like I talked to Frank about what it was like being the head coach there. Like that's one of the few cities in MLS where like the head coach gets the best table in the restaurant when he walks in. You know, people know who the <laughs> coach of the impact is. Pick another MLS city where that's the case. You know what I mean? There's not that many yeah, of they're them. few and far between. Yeah. You know, so they, they do have relevance and they do have aspects of that culture when they're winning. Sure. But and you've and got a lot of these teams. So go ahead. A lot of these teams, by the way, we, you know, they're more recent expansion teams, but they also have history, right? The impact had been in Montreal for a couple of decades before they moved to MLS. Like Timbers, you know, started in 75, Sounders in 74. Like the, some of these teams have that history. Orlando, right? How many years in USL before MLS? What, six or seven? Something like that. Um, so that helps too. But you still have to go out and reflect the community. Like you still have to be really conscious of that. And when I was doing this Oakland story and reporting on it, 
it, they, everyone that I spoke to just like hammering it over my head. I'm like, guys, I get it. I get it. But like they say, Oakland first, always Oakland first, always everything we do has to be through the lens of Oakland. And if it doesn't make sense for Oakland, it doesn't make sense for us. And then we don't do it. Right. And that's somewhat extreme. You know, I'm not going to say that it's realistic to have all these billionaire owners thinking like that. It's not really, but like on that spectrum, on that continuum, you can get a lot closer to that than what a lot of these teams are. I think for me, the thing that the word that maybe matters the most when we're talking about a genuine connection to the city is control. I think you you alluded to this earlier. When you look at a market like Seattle or Portland, the supporters and all of the markets we're talking about, the supporters are the ones that drive the culture, right? They drive the connection to the city. They drive the identity of the club. You know, if you want to talk about the successful clubs in MLS when it comes to connecting to the city, Seattle, Portland, LAFC, um, Orlando Atlanta. City, Atlanta, Kansas City. Probably yeah, and slightly, Minnesota yeah, Toronto, and maybe, even Minnesota, yeah. Cincinnati, I think you could put in there as well, right? So there's like seven or eight teams. All have strong supporters cultures. And yes, those teams all play up those supporter cultures. They use them in their marketing. There's a reason why those teams are always on TV. It makes for the best product. But we we don't see as much of those clubs attempting to control how those fans act, what the supporters do, what they say. And when we did see it with ML, from an MLS level last year, especially in Seattle and Portland, the pushback was significant. And I think when you look at some of the other markets that are f- failing to connect as much, you see clubs who who want those cultures, want those supporters environment in their stadiums but want complete control over it they only want to utilize it as a tool to fill the rest of the stadium and they don't understand that you have to live with some of the things you don't like or don't want that are the genuine parts that are the real parts that are a little bit raw and a little bit gritty and 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 have character in order to have a real environment And like, I think about DC United as an example. Back in the day when I was a kid in DC, the thing that made going to a DC United game cool was going to the Bar Brava section and going at halftime when they danced in the tunnel and being a part of that and being like, oh man, this is what soccer is about. This is different. This is, you can't get this anywhere else. And it was the thing that I could take my friends to and say like, soccer is cool. Like, check this out. And Later on in the club's history, they really tried to change the identity of that supporters culture. They tried to change who who was the focus of the supporters and really, in my opinion, to gentrify the supporters culture of DC United. And it failed and it was a bad idea. And the club is still trying to recover from that. And so I believe that these clubs that we see lacking the identity is partly because the the front offices of these clubs don't understand the idea of what is genuine cannot be controlled from within the club. 
And I think a big part of that is in most of these cases, the front offices probably don't reflect the actual cities that they're in, right? And, you know, there was a report released the other week, the FAIR report about diversity in MLS kind of leadership positions, so coaches, GMs, owners, presidents, and kind of VPs below them. Uh, but having worked, you know, in an MLS front office, like there's, you know, granted it was years ago now, so maybe things have changed in different teams, but there's not a lot of like Latino outreach going on across the league. And like that to me is, it's mind boggling. Like it's just crazy. Like, and, and that's not to say like, oh, well, like every, every person of Mexican heritage or of Guatemalan heritage or Costa Rican or Venezuelan or Colombian, whatever, wherever they may be coming from, right? You're not going to capture every single one of those people, but they're more ready-made, right? It's, they already love the game, right? And they're, they're in a city and they might be looking to embrace a team. They understand the culture already, the the soccer culture. Yeah. And, and you have to go out like those people should be the easiest ones to get. Right. And teams don't even really try in a lot of cases. And it, it goes all the way to the top of these organizations at an ownership level. Right. And not understanding that, not caring about that, whatever it might be, but it's just a shame. Right. You talk about Atlanta talk about LAFC, talk about Portland and how they reflect their city. And a lot of that, like we've said, is due to the supporters themselves. But, you know, the supporters themselves were marketed to and were catered to by the clubs, right? And that's a huge thing. They were made to feel welcome. There was a really important line speaking exactly to this, Sam, in Felipe's piece about, you know, Atlanta's culture and black culture in Atlanta United. And, you know, I'm not going to read the the exact quote. I'm going to encourage people to go read the story. But the gist of the quote was, when Atlanta has the rappers up there doing the golden spike, that matters. Because that says this is part of the city's identity. These rappers, hip hop, black culture is just as much a part of Atlanta as anything else. And it's an acknowledgement and an invitation to black people that they are welcome here that they are a part of this and and that idea is important you know like i mean from a raw standpoint man like i've told you this stuff before sam like it's not until i reached adulthood and looked back at my childhood that you start to recognize these moments where you know, I remember there was a Redskins player whose card I wanted so badly. And I, I, it wasn't until I looked back later and realized it's because he had a Hispanic last name. A Washington football team. Washington football team player who had a Hispanic last name. And I was like, man, like, now I realize that, Matt, why I wanted that guy's card so badly, you know, because I connected, I identified to him. Or why when I went to my first DC United game and I was in the tunnel and it was all Latinos singing in Spanish, playing... Latino music, right, in the tunnel, the same stuff that I was hearing when I went to Costa Rican parties with my mom and my dad on the weekends, you know, and I was like, oh, like, this is something I know. This is something I identify with. I am welcome here. I am a part of this, right? And you want to feel that way. And that draws you back in. I am a part of this community. I am a part of what's going on here. 
And it has to be, there's a responsibility on these clubs to do those things. And it can't be, it has to be real. It has to be, it has to be intentional. And the the reality is for a lot of places, it's not. A lot of places, it's not. And, and it's easy to feel left out, man. For it, we were any minority group feels already left out of a lot of things and you look for the places where you're not. And I think that's, that's something that should be said, especially for markets like Houston and Dallas where, you know, I think that they've done not a good enough job within fan recruitment, you know, Dallas, I'll say, which has Hispanic ownership, right? Right. One of the few ownership groups in major league soccer that has, that's minority led. Right. And I think Mm -hmm. also like Dallas has done an amazing job connecting to the Latino community in the sense of what the Academy has done, the leadership that they've had in the club and the coaching and technical director roles. Right. I I, I am all about what they did there, but they can do more in the community too. They can do more to pull in that demographic, and they should. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show interrupting for just a moment to say that if maybe MLS teams did want to pull in the local community, one way they could do that would be maybe by hiring from the local community. And to do that, they could use LinkedIn, today's sponsor of Allocation Disorder. Small businesses have unique needs, and despite the current uncertainty, one thing that remains unchanged is the importance of having the right people on your team to accurately reflect who your team is supposed to be, which is the thing Paul and Sam are talking about. When your business is ready to make that next hire, LinkedIn jobs can help you by matching your role with qualified candidates so that you can find the right person quickly. I think the first question should be, do you support naming a team City or FC or United? And if so, then immediately you know they might not be the right candidate for you. LinkedIn is obviously an active community of professionals with more than 690 million members worldwide. That's a lot of members. So when your business is ready to make that next hire, find the right person with LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with the hard and soft skills you are looking for. Again, feels relevant to what Paul and Sam are talking about. You can pay what you want and you can get $50 off your first posting. Just go to linkedin.com slash TSS. Again, that's linkedin.com slash TSS to get $50 off your first job posting. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode of Allocation Disorder. Now back to Paul and Sam. They Absolutely. Like, that's the other part about this. And this is something that the Roots guys were saying to me. You know, they didn't have billionaire backing. They still don't, right? They have a group of 20 owners now who have plenty of money. But when they started, it was just two regular guys that were out there doing this. Right. And so they had to do this. They wanted to, but they had to out of necessity. Because if you're going to get people to come out and watch fourth or third tier American soccer, um, well, they need to connect to it in a way that doesn't involve just the sport. Right. Um, and they were able to do that. And that's really cool. And when I look around MLS and when I look at their club with in a third division playing at a community college football stadium in downtown Oakland, with players you've never heard of in a league you've never heard of. And they're getting like a more raucous crowd than across the Bay in San Jose. Like to me, I'm, I'm like, where's the disconnect here? This doesn't seem, I don't want to say it doesn't seem that hard, but the concept doesn't seem hard. Right. And executing that concept is, is difficult. Right. But 
it should be the priority for every single club because if you execute on this concept, you're going to succeed. You're going to make money. Look at LAFC and look at Atlanta. That's what everyone in MLS wants. That's what they want. They want those huge crowds. They want those awesome environments. They want those suites filled. It's good business sense on top of being just like the right thing to do if you're genuinely trying to be a community asset. I have a question for you, Paul. We've talked a lot about the teams that have done a good job of this, and I think that's good, but I do want to call out some of these teams that haven't done a good job of this. We've mentioned a few, right? San Jose, Houston, Dallas. you have any others that stick out to you? Yeah, I mean, I think the the Red Bulls, I think, have fallen short of connecting to their community. Mm-hmm. I, I would say Vancouver. Um, I think in recent years, DC United, I've mentioned them a few times now, but I, I really truly believe that they fall short of what they could be. Um, those are the first clubs that come to mind. Am I missing anyone else? I actually think, by the way, we haven't Chicago. mentioned the Galaxy. I think within their fan base, they've done a, a pretty good job of being a genuine part of that community. Um, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna knock them. And then, yeah, Chicago's a, Chicago's an obvious one. I try. I feel like I beat up on them all the time. I try not to. It's hard because I live in the community and I see <laughs> it up close. But like, yeah, I think Chicago has fallen short as well. New England, New England for sure. Um, and, and a lot of this just really goes to Philly. Yeah. Yeah. To a degree. I would say Philly's doing a better job of that. I feel like they've found out who they are. Right. And, and like, that's part of this, part of this takes time. Right. So I don't want to be too hard on some of these teams because part of it does take time, but Philly have picked a lane now. Right. And they're leaning hard into that lane. And will that work in this way? Maybe it will, maybe it won't, but But at least, at least they're trying something. Point back to Pablo's story though, right? Like a part of this is also when you receive public funding for stadiums and you're Mm -hmm. going into these minority communities. We, when we did the, um, we did the Mauer story on Chester, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, which is where the union stadium is. And it's a, a a very, um, large black community, right? It's heavily, heavily percentage wise. I can't talk right now. Um, but most of that town, is black people and the union got public funding for that stadium. And they, it was, it came with a lot of promises that largely haven't really been fulfilled. And Sam, you and I did a round table with the leaders of the black players for change in MLS. And one of the topics that came up during that call was the fact that a lot of these stadiums that MLS is building are being built mm-hmm. in largely minority communities. Orlando, Orlando Houston, Houston, yeah. you know, DC United, um, yeah, you know, you can go down the list. So what are those clubs doing to con- actually connect to the communities where they're building their homes? Are they doing enough? Has Orlando City done enough in Paramore? You know, and, and I, I think that we need to, to talk to acknowledge that as well. You know, the part of the reason MLS has permanence is because of these facilities that they're building, many of which are being built with public funding, some of which are not. But whether it's public or privately built, you have a responsibility to the communities where you're building your home, where you're changing the dynamics of what that community yeah, even looks if like. You d- even if you don't have a stadium, even if you play in Soldier Fields or CenturyLink or Mercedes-Benz or wherever else, like a professional sports team, like by definition, especially in soccer, right, where this is the model all over the world, right? We do it differently here in MLS, but the rest of the world, this is the model, um, is a community asset or is supposed to be, right? So if you're truly a community asset, well, you need to try and connect yourself to your community, 
right? And, and to actually establish those those roots and those connections. So I would say, I Sam, it too, is going to be interesting. I, I would say, like, I think about um, kind of the, some of the ideas we're talking about a culture and the cities that you're a part of. One thing that always res- resonates with me is like people want to rep where they're from, right? Like everyone, yeah, everyone has that yeah. idea of pride, and so to be able to, and I think this is this is really important in today's sports landscape. Certainly, with the 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 younger demographics that are so important to all professional sports teams because of the advertising revenue it can drive yeah. and all of we're, those. We're things. tribal people. They, yeah. Everyone wants to wear the cool gear that reps their city. And I, I do think it's worth pointing out that the brands that have done a good job connecting to their community have also done a good job in how they brand themselves to actually mm-hmm. represent those communities. So when you talk about Atlanta United, why people are wearing those uniforms around town, right? And how that becomes a fabric of the community. Orlando City with the purple. That was a huge factor in I mean, immediately being a part of it. LAFC, their hat was immediately a part of the LA culture, right? Enter Miami. They haven't gotten much right during their expansion season, and they're definitely an incomplete, right? Because their expansion season was blown up by COVID completely. (laughs) I'm going to be very interested to see how this goes for them next year. Yeah, but like their logo, hopefully their logo and their colors are so Miami. You know what I mean? Like had a pink... Could have had a pink jersey though, but hey. definitely they, the jerseys they messed <laughs> up. But the logo and the colors they got right. The hats yeah. are sick. Like they're things that people want to wear, and like that's like what sick. made me. They're they're sick. Yeah, I'm just saying. For like young you kids, want to Paul. put people in. You want to create gear. The Oakland Roots gear. Like Dame, I mean, the Roots are the perfect example. Damian Lillard this. wearing that yeah. gear walking root, into an NBA. The Roots are more. They're more of a of a like street style brand than they are a soccer team in many ways. Like Damian Lillard's out here wearing it in his pregame walk at NBA games. Like they have G easy, a rapper wearing it in music videos, Kalani, uh, a singer wearing it in her videos. Like they, they have like, and, and they're not necessarily asking these people to do these things. They just wear it because, Oh, that's a cool piece of clothing. And it represents my hometown, right? It reps the hometown. And like, that's what gets me frustrated. Okay. Like, I just said I'm not going to pick on them. But when the Chicago Fire's new branding came out, I was like so disappointed. And actually, I think this might be the first time I talk about the branding of the Fire because I waited and waited and waited to see if I would come (laughs) around on it. Like I really waited to see if I'd come around on it. It's been almost a year. And it's been almost a year and I haven't come around on it. And, And there's a few reasons why. First of all, there's nothing about it that speaks to Chicago. It's not Chicago. And I wanted to test myself. So it's been a year. I pulled out the logo again for my wife, born and raised in the Chicago area. And I'm like, is there anything about this logo that says Chicago to you? Anything at all? And she's like, no way. And I was like, you know, they claim that this is the city skyline. And her reaction was, come on, come on. (laughs) That's what she said. So like you have a city with like an iconic skyline. You have a city with an iconic flag. You integrate neither of those I mean, two look at things. The re- look at the Red Stars branding. Right. Like you, the, you have, the NWSL team in Chicago. Like they do, they kill it and every even year. And then you have like a pretty decent MLS history. And one of the few things that you've created about this history is like, come on, you men in red. You wear red. And then you change the primary color to navy blue. So like you don't keep any aspects of the brand that you created over the last whatever number of years and you 20. do nothing to connect to the city itself 
Like, it was so bad from those <laughs> levels that, like, I, a year later, am still just as disappointed. And, like, because, like, okay, like, I've seen, the the one thing I've seen living here in Chicago is people like to wear Chicago sports gear, man. They like oh things God. that it's- rep the city. I've talked about this. I'm I'm also from the Chicago area and I lived a lot of my life there and like they just like everyone loves that flag. People have it everywhere. It's obnoxious almost. And people love wearing the sports gear too. Also, it, it borderlines on obnoxious. It's like, do we have anything else in our wardrobes? Apparently not. And I guess we're cool with that. But like <laughs> they want to represent the city. They really want to. And like there wasn't anything wrong with the fires rebrand necessarily. It was inoffensive. The The main thing that was wrong with it is that there wasn't anything right with it. Right. I don't know if that makes sense, but like nothing popped. And, and I think you're right to make this point about branding in general, because the teams that have gotten this right, like their brands for the most part represent their city, the Sounders, right? Puget Sound colors, green and blue Seattle, right? That screams Seattle. Same thing with the Timbers, right? Same thing. Um, LAFC, it's newer, but like, it's cool. It's like, yeah, that's, that's cool year. I'm into that. Right. Black and gold. All right. Like, and they're, and they're, they're all brands that resonate with gear that people want to wear that you can wear out. You know what I mean? Like Like, I look at the NBA. It's it's cool. I mean, look at the NBA, right? Like there was a push recently. I would say, I don't know, like what in the last decade, maybe a little more than a decade, I always forget how old I am, but when you talk about throw, <laughs> throwback jerseys, right? Like how long ago was it started? Kind of with LeBron, Mitchell so almost Ness. two yeah. decades, probably, right? Yeah, and like yeah, this is early two thousand. You know, you talk about the throwback jerseys, kind of started it. Why? Because those old school jerseys, they they repped the cities. That's what they repped back in the day. Yeah, and like the well, colors were, the, were bolder. What do they call it? The and, city series. Yeah, and then they, they now the they evolved to now. the city series. Yeah. Right. Everything's yeah. about repping the city, and people wear those that gear. You know, across cultures are are rocking those jerseys and those hats and those shirts. Yeah. And same when you look again at the MLS brands that, that resonate. They represent the city and they look good, right? And yes. Like again, I'm gonna point to Chicago Fire. Like nothing about that logo was cool or fashionable. Like nothing about it said I can wear this without having to explain what it is. Like you can put on an LAFC hat. And people are going to be like, oh, man, that hat is that hat's cool. Like, where'd you get it? Oh, it's a soccer team. They're not asking like, oh, what is that team? They're saying like, oh, that hat is cool. You know, like right. and even like Minnesota United, like that jersey works. That logo is is beautiful. And so people can wear it to a bar, you know, or they can rock a hat to a club. It looks good. You know what I mean? And like, <laughs> you see a lot of Minnesota United hats in a club. I don't go club to clubs. <laughs> I'm just assuming. <laughs> well, ask Jeff. You know, but Jeff Reeder is definitely in the clubs in Minnesota, you know? Regardless, like, and none of this on its own is enough, right? Like, NYCFC, no one would argue with their branding, right? I don't think. No I doubt. think it's pretty cool. I think it's set, I think it says New York. You know, like all of that stuff. I think they they nailed it in many ways, but like they don't really resonate in the community at all, right? And and so it's holistic. It has to be everything, and it's just like, is this action, is this decision rooting my club to its city, to my people, to the to the fans that I want to get in the door, 
as paying customers because that's what this is about at the end of the day. And and if you don't look at things through that lens, I would ask why not? Why aren't you? Right? Because the potential is here. People want to latch on for a lot of different reasons. You know, I always, this is so anecdotal. I almost hesitate to bring it up, but I'm going to bring it up. Like when I lived in Boston, like a year ago, I was living in Boston and I played on a men's league team there and and like, you know, very like traditional um, Euro snob population on this men's league team, right? Everybody's watching the EPL. Like half the team was from England or Scotland or Ireland. Like, you know, I could barely understand them because they have these, these thick accents, which are great. And they all were vaguely aware of the revs and they all knew who Brad Friedel was. Right. And then Brad Friedel got fired and they would sometimes they'd be like, Sam, what's going on with the revs? And I'd be like, oh man, joke, joke, terrible team. Friedel can't get it together, all this stuff. And then they turned it around when arena came. And they started paying attention because the team's good, but they don't want to go out to Foxborough to watch a game. Like, but the point is, there is these, there's this big population of people that want, that are just like, they just want a reason. They just say, just give me a reason, right, to be hooked in. And MLS teams are not giving them that reason. And that is sad. <laughs> it's sad for anyone that likes soccer, anyone in this country or in the U.S. or Canada, that really likes soccer and that wants it to grow, like you and I do, right? Um, those people need to be hooked in in order for the sport to grow to where we want it to grow here. And the teams are not doing enough, the league's probably not doing enough, or they're not doing the right things. And it's unfortunate. Um, hopefully, I don't know. Well, actually, let me ask you. What, like, what would you, like, give me a couple of things just quickly that, like, you would do to, to hook more people in on a broad 30,000 foot level? Oof. Um, well, first of all, I think accessibility is, is crucial, right? And accessibility means different things. Obviously, from a, from a pulled back standpoint, if you're talking about a market like New England or Chicago up until recently, accessibility was about where the stadium is, right? We, mm-hmm. We've learned from a lot of these stadiums and a lot of these communities that have done well in MLS that stadiums that are accessible via public transportation that are near the city centers in cities where that's important, that's not every city, um, do better. You know, not Houston's an example of where it doesn't do better, but Houston's a more sprawling metropolis, right? They don't really have a thriving downtown area in the same way that it matters in Chicago, for example, or in, you know, Boston. Boston, right? So it's not about location all the time, but a lot of times for these cities that are more public transportation based, it is. Like I do think Chicago Fire have a better chance to be uh, present on a game day just by being in the city itself, right? So that matters, right? And that matters in how you, for a lot of these clubs and how they set up. Like if you look at FC Dallas, Colorado, New England, some of these problem clubs that we're naming – that's been a big factor for them. Um, but presence also matters outside of just your stadium. You know, Chicago Fire getting back on the airwaves while not, you know, on WGN, that matters. Um, and then the next level is what are you doing with, with that presentation, right? With being more, more visible. And, and to me, that's the most important part. How can you increase your visibility? And there are different ways to do that. Um, you know, there are ways to create more content. There are ways to 
be more active in the community on social media. There's ways to connect. I think the biggest thing that could be done differently by a lot of MLS clubs is their presence in inner city communities. You know, I look like, for example, like the Chicago, Chicago fire foundation actually has, is amazing. They do. And a lot of these clubs have really great, they do great work. They do great work, but I think Chicago fire soccer can do more in those communities. Like if you, when you back in the day, if you drive to Bridgeview, the number of neighborhoods you're driving through with, you know, I would take the back way because there's always some, all this traffic on 55. The number of houses I'm driving by <laughs> just outside of Bridgeview with Mexican flags flying and stuff. And I'm like, man, like what, is, what is the fire yeah. doing? If you're not going to be in Chicago, what are you doing to connect to these man, communities? You know? I lived in a pretty, when I lived in Chicago a few years ago, I lived in a pretty Mexican area. Mexican-American area. And there was this artificial turf field that I played at all the time. Pickup games always going, mostly with like high school kids, honestly. And a lot of them Latino. Um, And I didn't even know this until I saw a plaque like probably six months after I started playing at this field. And it's the one that, uh, for those of you who are familiar with Chicago, it's it's on Fullerton in California. It's a great field. You should go check it out. Uh, It was built by Manchester City. Like... That's crazy. <laughs> like, and I know the fire, I think the fire do stuff like that. So I don't want to like throw them under the bus here. Yeah. But, like, they, they've every opened MLS many pitches. Should, every MLS team should be doing stuff like that. Yeah. I you mean, know, and NYCFC, by the way, do stuff like that in, in New York. But, um, so like some are, but like to me, Paul, this is just, it just has to be holistic. And like, we can talk about these little things and every team can do a million little things more or better or differently. Right. But like, to me, it just goes back to a very simple thing. Um, is the club making their decisions through the lens of, does this connect me to my city? Sam, is real, this me reflecting my city? Real quick, I want to go back to that. I've gotten in debates with people. Again, I'm going to keep harping on Chicago because I've been here and I was on the sideline for that club on their team broadcast for a couple of years. Sure. And yeah, so you know it. You I, know. I would have debates with people at the club and I was talking about like, oh, we're, you know, not making decisions on who to sign based on demographics in the city. And, and like, I disagree with pretty much any argument you can make for that doesn't matter. Look at the history of the Chicago fire and it will tell you that it matters, right? In 98, when they had a bunch of people on the team, Polish, Polish people and Mexican people on the team over the years since 98, it has been successful. It has resonated in those communities because those communities are such a part of what Chicago is. They have a huge mm-hmm. Polish population. They have a huge Mexican population. DC United, back when I was growing up, why was there such a huge Latino presence? Well, it's one of the biggest Salvadoran communities in the country. And they had Raul Diaz Arce. And he was a star. That mattered. That brought yeah. people into yeah. the stadium. And it, and it has to hit, right? Because It has to hit. Because the Fire have had some Polish players over the years. They have one now. Sure. Frankowski, right? They, they had Christoph Kroll. Like, he wasn't putting butts in seats. The guys have to be good, too. So, like, that's part of it. But it right? wasn't just – it's not just one player. It's first. about the, the but, identity. But yes. It's it's how are we building our team. It has to be holistic. It's this big – it's this 50,000-foot approach. You go up in a rocket ship and you look down on Earth and you say, what am I doing? What decisions am I making? And how are they – connecting me deeper to my city and really rooting me with my city and making it so my club is more reflective of my city. And I think if more teams started with that mindset, they would have better outcomes. And and I want to give a shout out again. I think like when I look at 
Chicago Fire, again, for example, the Fire Juniors, they are going into more Mexican, Latino communities, inner city communities, and trying to start Fire Juniors clubs there or integrate clubs into the Chicago Fire Juniors programs to find players there. That matters. I've talked to Fire Juniors coaches. A lot of times these best the best players on the team are coming from the West side. They're coming from the South, you know, like they're, they're coming from those communities. So the fire does have Mm -hmm. a presence, but I think it's important to know. I've always felt I've gotten in debates with people at us soccer about this too. Like it's more than just a scholarship for a kid or 10 scholarship for 10 kids. There has to be, I always have felt like a better program would be funding clubs in those communities, like just straight up funding them giving them the support they need. And and recently we did a story, Jeff Reuter did a story on Minnesota United and, and the way it's rethinking its community and its its academy program. And a big part of that is connecting to these unregistered leagues, these unregistered teams, these immigrant communities in Minneapolis and partnering with them and funding them. They're still independent from Minnesota United, but they're giving them money. They're giving them support. They're partnering with them. They're empowering them. They're scouting them. They're finding kids from those communities. All of those things matter. And those are ways to show that you're present in the community, to connect to those communities and to be around those communities. And and that is really critical too. Um, it's more than just – what, what frustrates me is we're, we're talking about all these things. And, and it's hard for us to really know what every club is doing or to know the difficulty of setting up these programs. But what I what I do want to emphasize, Sam, is that neither of us are sitting here being like, oh, no, yeah, just rebrand the team, man. You know, like just change the logo no. and swap the name yeah. out and you're good. You're going to be refreshed. You're going to be a new and cool thing, man. If you just lose the, the, the old 96 flag logo for the Revs, man, they're going to be wildly popular. No, it's more than that. Dynamo. You can't just change the Dynamo name and colors and now you're going to be this new fun thing and everyone's going to want to go. No, people aren't stupid. It's got to be more than that. That matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can't. But it's got to be more than that. Yeah. But yeah, if it's if it's just that on our, on its own, it's not going to do the trick. Um, and and so I'll, I'll close with I'll, I'll read another quote here. And this is from a guy named Mike Geddes, who is the Oakland Roots chief purpose officer. They actually have this guy. His whole job is what I'm talking about. Like, how does this affect, how does this decision reflect Oakland? How does, how are we affecting our city? Are we reflecting our city? Does this make sense to deepen our roots in the community? That's his job, right? And and the quote that he gave, and he spoke with Jeff Reuter, you know, he's talking about this club in Lesotho that's like really about this too. And, and he says, it was reverse engineering the whole concept of football back to something that I believe it should be a football team comes from the community first. And over time it can become this commercially successful thing, but the foundations have to be deep. And to me, that's just so true, right? It's so true. And when you, when you hear it out loud, it sounds obvious. It's hard to achieve. I think, I think a lot of MLS teams are trying to achieve it. Um, But I think for soccer to get to a place where we want it to be in this country, teams need to start thinking more through that lens of how is does this decision make sense for my city and if it doesn't you don't do it right and and i think i think that's really really key and i think it's important to frame it in those terms and i and i hope that more teams will start to do so and i'm just i know we're wrapping things up here and i just want to say two things as we close the first is not a lot of mls mls teams don't have a ton of history and history matters right 
um, it does for a yeah. lot of these clubs, and, and that's right? not something you can fabricate. You can't fabricate you can't. it. But for those clubs that do have history, you know the, the the originals that are the ones that are really struggling to resonate and to connect with their communities. I would say embrace your history too. You know, involve people from sure. your history, from your club, from people who have been around. You know, make sure you you honor them, bring them into your academy, give them roles with the team. That matters to the fan bases. That shows that you respect that history. And I think it does. If you look at the clubs around the world that do have a history, that is a trend that exists in all of those clubs, that there are people who are there because they know what those clubs are about. And that helps to perpetuate the identity and the culture of what that club is, right? It carries it forward. So that matters. And the second thing I want to say is if you have made it to minute 55 of this podcast right now, the chance (laughs) is that you're a huge MLS fan and that you are a fan of one of these teams. And I would love to hear from you. Or you're my mom. uh, Yeah, I would love to hear. (laughs) Congratulations to your mom for making it through the podcast at this point. There's zero chance my mom did. Um, But but make sure, you know, I I would love to hear from you. You know, let us know on on Twitter, uh, you know, what, what is it about your club that you feel is genuine? What do you think the club could do better? Because Sam and I, we have access and we can write these stories and we do get to talk to people in power. And and I, I do think it matters for the growth of the league, for the growth of these teams, for the growth of the sport in this country. And so, you know, we're giving you our perspective from having those conversations with people, from covering the league, from seeing different fan bases. But we're also not in these supporters groups. We're not there every single home game for these clubs. You know, we we aren't a part of the culture the way fans are. And so it matters to us when we're writing and reporting about these things to to hear what you guys are thinking, too. Yeah, so hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up in our emails if you want. You know, first first letter, last name at theathletic.com. Sorry, Paul. Can't wait for the spam. Send all your spam to Paul, by the way. Don't send any of it to me. Um, but anyway, I think that was well said. It's, I don't know. I'm curious to see where this goes. We're both very invested in this uh, personally, professionally, emotionally. Uh, if you've made it this far, you are too. So thank you for listening. Um, hopefully, we see a healthier future for American and Canadian soccer. And uh, hopefully we see we see some of these clubs establish deeper, um, more real roots in their own cities and their own communities. And with that, I think we can sign off. I'm Sam Stasekul. He's Paul Tenorio. This has been Allocation Disorder. Thanks for listening. 